At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. What a great testimony that is. You can be seated. You proclaim some powerful truths today, uh, which is really, really good for us to do. But you're not done preaching. All right, I got another sermon I need you to preach. Preach it to me, please. Uh, Preach it to your seatmate, the person sitting next to you. They need to hear it today. Look across the room. You guys look at them over there. You guys look at them over there. See them? They need to hear this today. All right, we got more than one preacher in the room today. It's a whole building full of preachers. Because Jesus said to do this often together. You proclaim the Lord's death. You need to do this often. Preach to one another the Lord's death, that he died on the cross to save you from your sin, that he rose from the dead to conquer fully death's uh, curse. Uh, You you preach today that he ascended up to heaven. You preach today that he's coming back again. He's going to make everything good. He's going to make everything right. That's the message of communion today. That's that's why we do this, because we have to hear the gospel every day, (laughs) every moment of our day. The gospel has to be ringing in our ears and ringing in our heart. Let me tell you your story. You say, you don't know me. Well, I know this about you. I know according to Ephesians chapter 1 that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of his people, having no hope, and you're without God in the world. I hope this is part of your story. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create to himself a new man in place of two, making peace And reconciling us both to God and to one body through the cross. That's what's happened. If you place your faith in Jesus, that's happened to us. We want to celebrate that today. So we have a couple elements similar to what Jesus said with his disciples. We have broken matzah bread, reminding us of Christ's broken body. We have little cups of juice reminding us of the cup that Jesus used with his disciples, uh, pointing to the new covenant in his blood. We have some up here. We have some in the back. And I'd like to pray over this and then afterwards invite you to maybe go to the side aisles and either come to the front or go to the back and pick up one of each, take back to your seat, 
uh, come back maybe the center aisle just for traffic flow. And, and then when we're all ready, when we're all together, we'll partake of it together. We want to do this in unity today. So let me ask God's blessing on this time, and then we'll get ready to preach. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this very simple um, way to remind ourselves of what you've done for us, that we're not part of your family because of how good we are, that we've done nothing to earn reconciliation with you. We haven't made up for the bad things that we've done. We could never do that. Lord, we embrace the truth that Christ has made us one with you. That through the death on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, that he purchased our place in your family. And we know, Lord, we'll keep doing this until you come again because we look forward to that day when you do. When our rewards, you'll, you'll bring our rewards with you. When you will make right everything that's wrong. We thank you for this opportunity to proclaim this to one another, to ourselves. We pray blessing upon this time, blessing over the elements, blessing on this experience that we can have with one another. Renew our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whenever you're ready, feel free to come to the front, to go to the back, uh, take your elements, and return to your seats. waiting for one another, it's a good time to talk to Jesus. Maybe tell him how grateful you are. It's a good time to let him examine your heart to see if your life is really matching what you're preaching today. Examine us, Lord. Are we living as if we are one together with one another? wronged one another? Have we offended another? Do we hold anger in our hearts towards someone? Search us, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in us. me, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the 
satisfying sacrifice that once and for all purchased our cleansing. We welcome that. Even, even the renewal of that in our hearts and minds, though our sin and the judgment of it was accomplished the day Jesus died, still, Lord, we allow sin to creep back into our life and it hinders our closeness to you. Lord, remove that. now is remember you, Lord. That night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Let's remember Jesus by eating this bread together. In a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that perfectly cleanses us from sin. Be with us now as we remember you. Let's remember Jesus by partaking of the cup. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death to one another. Thank you for this message that we receive today and that we share today. Thank you for purchasing our salvation, giving us opportunity to draw close to you and worship you, Lord. Be with us as we celebrate you together in song. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.
Thanks for worshiping with us today. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, if you would please, as we began a series uh, last Sunday called Conflicted, seeing the difference between living in the kingdom of God and pursuing peace and living in a kingdom of this world, which is living in a canceled culture. Right? Attacking those that don't agree with you. Conflict is not an evil thing. There was conflict in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect. Because how do I know? Because there was a man and there was a woman. That's conflict. But it's good conflict. It's healthy conflict. It's two different perspectives on life uh, that is better than one alone. It wasn't good that Adam be alone. He needed another perspective to help him see clearly. And so living in the kingdom of heaven is not simply uh, everything in unison, it's everything in harmony. And that's what we want to experience, more of the kingdom of God on earth like it is in heaven, experiencing more of, of what harmony and, and peace that he describes will be our eternal existence while we wait for his return. Today we're going to look in Matthew 18 and verse 7 through 9 as we kind of continue a theme that we just touched on last week as we saw Jesus kind of getting a bit riled up emotionally maybe um, when he thought of those who would offend those that are young in their faith. This is something that should not take place in the family of God and he presses a little more into this. His instructions help us see that we're to build up and not hinder the faith of those around us. The way we live out our faith should build up their faith and not tear it down. There's a genre of TV shows that um, is certainly throughout all your streaming uh, subscriptions and things that has contestants competing against one another on extreme courses, obstacle courses, or different things, everything from fear factor to wipeout. Um, but one of the original shows in this genre was way back in 1980s, and it was a Japanese show. Takashi's Castle is where, really, most say it all started. Takashi's Castle was... Um, produced and hosted by a Japanese actor and comedian who became very famous but came from some, some low standing in culture. And so from the working class, and he just worked his way up, built himself this phenomenal castle where he lived and started this game show 
called Takeshi's Castle. And their goal of this was for contestants to approach his castle. And if they made it all the way there, they, they won. But of course, there was lots of obstacles they had to go through. And one of the most famous um, obstacles was, of course, they called the stepping stones. There was a moat they had to cross, or a moat they had to cross. Here's, here's a scene of this, um, where Takashi is there, right, with his scepter, and contestants had to walk across this moat to try to get to the castle. And they had these stepping stones across the moat. Problem is, some of the stepping stones were actually sinking stones, some of them had solid foundation and wouldn't move. You could walk your way across on those stones. The goal, of course, is don't step on the sinking stones lest you fall. And, of course, the episodes, like in our American Ninja Warrior and in other such shows today, the same thing. There's great delight in watching the catastrophic crash into the water and you saying, man, that hurt. Glad that isn't me. All right, enough of that. All right. Here's, the, here's what that, I want that, that picture to put in your mind. Jesus says, be stepping stones, not sinking stones. When you live out your life in the kingdom of heaven, recognize that you have an ability to either be a stepping stone where people can progress on their journey or a sinking stone that you can be a detriment or a discouragement in their journey of faith. When you think of your journey, if we gave you some time, you could probably think of people that were stepping stones for you. Maybe people that you watched model challenges and hardship in their life. They, they, they journeyed that challenge with a, with, a, with a spirit that honored Jesus. Maybe they suffered well, and that gave you a pattern to follow when it was your turn to suffer. Or maybe it was somebody that spoke life into you and there is maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or maybe it was a friend or a pastor who just happened to say just the right thing. Or maybe there was an experience that you went to that was designed uh, to encourage your faith and it did. And it, you look back on that as a stepping stone in, in your journey. Maybe, maybe there was a demonstration of compassion that you watched someone uh, express and you thought that is following Jesus and that formed in you a desire for compassion in your life and if we took time we could probably also though we try not to think of these things we probably could think of people that maybe it was something they said or something done maybe even to you that created a real hurdle for you to get through and maybe that was more of a speed bump in your journey and it and it seemed to slow down that progression because it caused or influenced some, some thinkings and maybe even some actions that you took because of a negative example laid out in front of you. But in Matthew 18, 7, 8, and 9, we see these two aspects of how we can influence the kingdom of Christ. So first of all, we're challenged to number one, Avoid leading others into sin. Jesus gives that um, probably figurative and em emotional response to the thought of somebody that causes a little one to sin. It'd be better for you just to go take a swim holding on to an anchor. Right? Tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the sea. 
It'd be more bearable for you to do that than what you're going to face come judgment time if you offend the faith of a young one. Jesus presses into that in verse 7 where he says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. We said Jesus builds on a topic that he had presented, we looked at last Sunday. And he says, two woes. When Jesus says, woe to you, you better pay attention. Because Jesus knows really what deserves a woe and what doesn't. The first woe, he refers to the world. Woe to the world for the temptations that it brings to us. When he says the world, he's... Speaking to the similar thing that John wrote about when he says, love not the world nor the things that are in the world. He's not saying, don't love nature. He's not saying, don't take a vacation to the Tetons and admire the world. Don't. He's not saying that. Admire God's creation. He's not saying people are evil. He's not saying that uh, to hate people or hate nature. He's speaking to a, a system, a rebellious system of of thought or influence based on human rebellion against God. The world is a system of human rebellion. It's not God's original design for his world. He created it as a habitation for humans that would, that would experience the goodness of God, where they can flourish, honoring one another, enjoying their relationship with the Father. But sin affected the world and formed a, 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 a system of rebellion. Jesus acknowledges in these words that it can be tough to live out your faith in the kingdom of heaven while still in this world. And can we admit that? Can we admit that, yeah, it's hard to live for Jesus in this world? I mean, think of our culture, the materialistic culture that it is, that seems to, the, the love of money, right, Jesus says, is the source of all evil. And we would say, then why does our country still think that love, that money is going to solve everything? And some of you face this every day, and it's hard, because you're, you're pressured to do your job in a way that maybe doesn't care about quality, you just want to reach a profit. Some of you are pressured in sales. Do you know if you have to tell the truth? Just make the sale. Some of us are in a place where it doesn't matter how mistreating of others that you experience. That, that's okay. It's a small price to pay to build the profit line of the company. We live in a culture that sex sells everything. That was even the, one of the first articles when I looked at the free press this morning. Sex sells restaurants these days. Even where you go to eat. So how can you live in a, a pure state of mind when it seems to be bombarding us from everywhere? Our identity and sexual perversion and things outside of what God's designed is everywhere. It's when you, you, you confront it when you're watching a football game, when you're driving down the road, when you're uh, looking at, um, you know, you whether it's a TV or a book or a newspaper or whatever, it just seems to be everywhere. And really, you can't go to a restaurant without being bombarded with it too? It's tough to live holy in a culture 
It is opposed to the things of this world. And interesting that Jesus acknowledges it and says, the world will get its pay too. Yep, he says, that grieves my heart, and it will be judged also. Woe to the world and the temptations that it brings. He kind of hints towards the scene in Revelation 20, where John writes what he saw. When the enemy, you know, the schemer that's behind this destructive culture, that formed this, this mindset of evil and doing what's right in our own eyes instead of what's right in our creator's eyes, right? The one that's behind that is going to get his due. Revelation 20 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's why Jesus says, Woe to the world and that whole system that is opposed to God. That there are forces of darkness in this world and they will be judged. They will be judged. The second woe is for the ones by whom the temptation comes. It says, but woe to the one by whom those temptations come. Those that lead others to sin. Those that continue to propagate those false systems, those rebellious values. These are the people who either intentionally or even carelessly lead others to sin. And in, in our culture, we seem to, our individualistic culture, like in so many, there seems to be this sense of no responsibility. I can do what I want. doesn't matter. Hey, if it makes you think bad thoughts, that's your issue, not mine. If it causes you to go a certain way, that has nothing to do with me. You're free. You have free will just like I do. So you affect yourself and I affect myself. And, and Jesus says, that's, actually, that's not how the world works. We are relational beings and we have influence on one another. And Jesus says there will be judgment for those that cause others to sin. Last week we mentioned a concept in, all throughout the New Testament that highlights the body of Christ as a, as a literal a, a body, right? It, it, we're expressed by that. We all have different gifts and abilities, kind of like your human body has different features and different functions. That's how we function as a family. And so when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. My sister-in-law is going through chemo right now, right? And the cancer is in, in one specific part of her body, but her, her whole body is affected by that cancer. And that's how it is in our relational life that we live here, that when my behavior and my actions has an effect on other people, In that same book of the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there's a, there's a way that Paul highlights how this works out. In, in 1 Corinthians 8, he mentions an issue that the church in Corinth was dealing with. It was a pagan city, and as a pagan city, its whole culture was affected by their, their belief in these false gods. In fact, you couldn't go grocery shopping without confronting it. So the issue that some Christians were struggling with is, is where you go get your food. 
the common practice in Corinth was you take the best of foods, whether it's meat or produce, you take the best, you offer it as a sacrifice to the false gods, and then you take it to the marketplace and sell it at a premium price because this is the best food. And believers who had been a believer for a while and had seen that there is only one God, these are false gods, and so the food is not tainted by that because there's no such thing as a false god. Sure, there's demons that are influencing that worldview, but the reality is there's only one true God and he's the creator of that food. So they had no problem going in and buying the best of foods and eating that food. And Paul says that as believers, what we eat does not affect us. So... So that's not a problem. However, there were young believers that were new to their faith, recently converted out of that paganism, that had a really hard time separating the worship of the false gods from the food that had been offered to them. Here's, here's what it says in verse 7. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, in other words, you know that really this food isn't going to corrupt us. If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He says, there's something more important than just enjoying your food. And that is influencing others. That it's better to be content with lesser quality food if it means you're not being a sinking stone to somebody that's weak in their faith. The scripture, as it teaches us our freedom in Christ, we're freed from some of the Old, Test from the Old Testament regulations. We have freedom in Christ. When you read through the New Testament, you're not going to see any verses that say, don't watch this type of television program. It's not going to, you're not going to find a verse that says, you can't have a glass of wine with your meal. You're not going to find a verse of scripture that says, you should not celebrate this holiday. That in Christ, there's freedom. There's Christ, there's liberty. But some of those decisions are made by spiritual thinking Considering application of principles, considering effect on you, and Paul says, and on others. There's some things that you can find great freedom in, in its influence on you, that there's nothing that's going to harm you, but when you contemplate it, you realize, but it may hinder somebody that's new in their faith. My influence is more important than my indulgence. Paul says, value the body of Christ. Value the influence on other people. It'd be wise for us to consider carefully our rhythms and our practices 
in our home and in our personal life. Consider what type of influence this is having on other people, on people that are new to the faith. He's not saying, so if anybody thinks it's wrong, just don't do it. I mean, that's bondage. If you're going to live according to the opinions of other people, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there are people around you that have not grown to the level of maturity that you're at, and they would struggle with some of these things. For the sake of the weak in faith, carefully guard your life and consider its influence. In other words, how do my choices affect my children, my grandchildren? How do my decisions affect New believers, people who are just beginning their walk with Jesus. How do my activities, my social media posts, how, do my, how does my speech and my behavior, is any of that hindering someone else's development of their faith? If so, value the other's development more than your freedom. Secondly, He says our influence on other people is affected by our influence by removing our own sin. We lead others by removing our own sin. Verse 8 says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell of fire. So Jesus shifts his attention from our influence on others to our behavior's damaging effect on ourselves. And again, he uses this extreme language. Like Jesus, Jesus truly doesn't want anybody to tie a millstone around their neck and throw himself into the sea. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's just, it's just a terrible thing to offend the faith of a weak one. He's not saying to you, just cut your hand off if it's causing you problems. If it's, he's not literally saying. He's using the figurative language to make the point. That it's better to suffer temporary consequences than eternal punishment. If something is leading me to sin, it's better to get rid of that something. It's better to avoid that that thing. Because tolerating sin brings painful consequences. Think back to the pandemic. All right? doesn't take too much imagination to this. When we considered the risk to our physical health, what did we do? Well, we stayed home. You canceled your vacation. You stopped sending kids to school. We didn't even meet for church. Why? Because there's a threat out there to our physical being. And our stores that we once we went back to them, there was visqueen all over the place. There was plexiglass keeping us from everybody, right? And we, we lathered ourselves with that stuff that they always told us, well, don't take too much of that because that kills good germs too. But we didn't care because there was a risk that was all around us. We didn't want to accept the risk and its effect on our physical life. We're not talking about physical life. We're not talking about just life on this earth. Jesus is talking about eternal consequences. 
And he says, shouldn't we take also some concern on how we live and whether it does have a positive effect on us or whether it has an influence to lead us to sin? Now, it's vital to remember this. All that we celebrated in our communion time and what we sang, that Jesus came to earth to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus is not here promoting this idea that you need to clean your life so well that you can stay out of hell. He's not promoting that. That isn't his thought. That would contradict all that he did on the cross. It would contradict all that he taught by believing in the Son and having life, rejecting the Son, you you face eternal death. So Jesus is not saying you have to stop sinning or you will go to hell. Because the reality is if you've given your life to Jesus... He's taken all the judgment of your sin, past, present, and future, on himself. Jesus didn't preach perfection in this passage. He's preaching repentance. Repentance is where we turn away from sin and pursue the right way of the kingdom. He's confronting this idea... That, well, as long as I do this certain thing, this religious activity, this thing, then it doesn't matter how I live, even if it's things outside of the will of God, because I've done this thing. Jesus is saying, well, that's not repentance. There was a holiday last, this past week, October 31st. Actually, there was two holidays. One is Halloween, of course. The other is Reformation Day. It's a day we remember when Martin Luther went to, went to the door in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed to the door, which is kind of a bulletin board uh, in that time, nailed to the door 95 theses, 95 statements to proclaim to the church and to all those that would read it. Many of those were complaints. Many of those were just statements of belief. The first one on the list that he, that he made, those, the 95 Five theses statement. When he, cha- when he challenged the church in their practice of selling indulgences. Are you familiar with that? The church at that time gave the ruling that you are able, if you give money to the church, you're able to indulge in a certain sin that we know isn't right. But if you give money to the church, you can have this indulgement with no judgment. You can just go ahead and indulge. No price to pay. And Luther made this statement. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he desired the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. He says, this is a terrible fundraiser for the church. Might make a lot of money, right? Because, I mean, I think of all the people signing up. Just spend a little bit of cash. I can do whatever I want. Church benefits, I benefit. Luther says that is never the intention of our king. Our king came to preach repentance, not just this moment, but your whole life to be spent. If there's evil, turn away. If there's evil, turn away. A whole life of turning from sin. It's not a once and done It's a posture of how we live.
We take our sin and our consequences seriously and we seek to turn from it throughout our lives. And Jesus specifically here says, because it turns you away from the Father. To have a life where you continue to indulge in sin turns you from closeness to the Father to walking in a direction that is harmful to you. In other words, he says, so if if watching this causes you to lust, cancel the subscription. If taking the first drink leads you into intoxication, then don't take it. If watching the news causes you to worry and fret, delete the app and open the Bible app and just watch how your life and your heart will be more full. If there are things that tear you down, Jesus said, get rid of that thing. Because that little consequence is so much softer than the harsh reality of continuing to walk in a way that's distant from the Father, distant from the kingdom. Again, Jesus isn't preaching that you can earn heaven by perfection. He's teaching his disciples that when you're living in the kingdom of heaven, you can either be a stepping stone where, where the way you live and the way you respond to pressure and the way, way you, um, you, you deal with, with temptation is forming influence in the lives of those that watch you. So parents, sometimes we make decisions because it has the potential to either help our kids or hurt our kids. And so we choose the way of the kingdom. As members of the church, there's sometimes we make decisions not simply based on only does it affect how it affects me, but how could this potentially affect someone else? Where we say this in itself is not a problem, but it puts my mind in a direction that pulls me away from the things of God. So when we think about conflict in our world, Think of how often conflict comes because we could care less about how it affects someone else. And then division, cruelty, distortion of relationship, that all settles in because we were only thinking about ourselves. Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. We are part of a kingdom, brothers and sisters all walking together with Christ, and I measure how I live, not only based on how it affects me, but how it affects one another. Probably a pretty good couple verses for us to consider as we celebrated communion today. When we think of we are all one in Christ, we are a community of brothers and sisters that doesn't just affect what we say in a church Sunday service, but affects how we live Monday through Saturday too. Father, thank you for helping us understand that our influence matters. And as we think of our effect on other people, Lord, may we faithfully be a stepping stone in the lives of others. May people be able to look back on our time with them and see it as a time of encouragement. When, when they read the posts that we make, they... they 
Lord, see that as something that moved them towards you, not away from you. Lord, as we make decisions, even this afternoon, may you help us consider whether it's something that leads us towards you or away from you. Father, we want to live humbly before you. Not proud as kings and queens of our own lives, but servants of the king. Those that, Lord, seek to respond to in a way that brings glory to your name. That gives people the right opinion of who you are. Examine our hearts, Lord. Help us to consider, how does this affect my life and how I live? Speak to us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.